This is a Clark University podcast. Political polarization, it's, it's in some ways deeper than it was in the 20th century, but in other ways it's not. There are increasingly loud elite factions amplified through news media that make polarization seem worse than it actually is. And when people actually do come together and talk about the issues that they care about, people agree on a lot of stuff. The problem is that there aren't that many spaces where people do that anymore. People don't go to church that much anymore. A lot of people, you know, don't, don't attend church in the same frequency with which their parents did. Local libraries, local bowling leagues, you know, all kinds of venues where in previous generations people would have encountered each other face to face, had an opportunity to tr trust one another and know one another and understand each other's lives are just gone. And that creates a vacuum into which this highly structured, competitive political ethos just falls into place. Clark sociology professor Jack Delahante's scholarship meets at the intersection of religion and politics. He studies how moral frameworks like religion offer cultural justifications for inequality in the U.S. It may seem odd to some that as the country becomes less religious, U.S. politics does the opposite. I think it's really important to distinguish religion in terms of people um, attending church or saying they identify with a religious tradition. That's not the same thing as people subscribing to understandings of political or moral authority that have to appeal to some sense of sacred order to justify themselves. For example, um, probably a lot of listeners have heard of Christian nationalism. Um, Christian nationalism is the belief that the United States government can and should advocate a Christian worldview. A lot of people who say they agree with that don't go to church. In fact, in a research study that I did with some colleagues from Louisiana State University, um, we found that among people who don't go to church, Christian nationalism had a stronger effect on voting for Trump than among people who do go to church. So that is to say that people who attend religious services may have you know, some sort of kind of community-based counterweight to some of the narrativized, polarized messages that infuse our politics. So as Gen Z enters politics, we're going to see a couple things. One is there's going to be a really um, strong backlash from older generations, whiter people, uh, people who feel that their grip on society is loosening. And we're already seeing that. Um, my colleague uh, Ruth Bronstein, sociologist at the University of Connecticut, has written about this backlash effect. Um, and she points out that as society seems to become less religious, our politics actually becomes more religious because religion takes a, a really controversial place at the center of debate, whereas in the past it would have been sort of just lurking under the surface, not as visible. I'm Melissa Hansen, a producer in Clark's communications office, and this is Challenge Change. In his new book, Making Moral Citizens, How Faith-Based Organizers Use Vocation for Public Action, Jack explores how religion impacts our politicians and rhetoric. Religion can be a source of empowerment or the fuel that tries to rationalize inequality. While conservative white Christians maintain a substantial influence on the Republican Party, Jack says that Democrats could benefit from identifying a common moral thread. 
There are really strong economic policy cases to make for each of these agendas. There's not a unifying moral thread that can be pulled across all of them and, and to say like, this is what we want our society to look like. This is the right way that things should be. And this is the moral case we can make for that. What that moral case might look like is very much to be determined. It won't look like the Christian right. <laughs> um, but very likely it will draw on, if not specific language about God, I think that's pretty unlikely. It likely will draw on some ideas about social justice that have roots in religious traditions. I mean, the civil rights movement, the gay rights movement, the feminist movement, all of these we think of as these leftist causes, but all of them had really strong religious voices at their core. So religion is gonna continue to matter in politics regardless of the apparent decline of religious attendance, religious identification in the United States, and, and the replacement of older, whiter generations in politics by younger and more diverse ones. Moral citizenship broadly encourages people to bring positive influence to their lives and their communities. However, this requires special attention to the structures that prevent some people from reaching their full potential. So moral citizenship is about recognizing that the story that we have often been told about how we can improve our lives needs some added complexity. And that there is a moral side to citizenship which involves recognizing that in order for me to get what matters to me and my family, I have to also empower others to be able to achieve that same thing. So for example, um, thinking about jobs, looking for a raise, asking your boss for a raise. That takes a lot of courage. You have to have the social skills to be able to sit down and have a face-to-face -face conversation. That's easier for some people than others, easier if you speak the same language, easier if you have the traits that are sort of recognized as employable or valuable. Um, and so it's not available to everyone equally. Working with other people to demand better worker protections so that, for example, when you become a parent or you have somebody in your family fall sick, you can automatically know that you're going to be able to take time off to care for yourself and you don't have to go to your boss and ask for that face to face. That requires recognizing that other people benefit from the same things that you do, even if they don't look like you, talk like you, attend the same church as you, um, come from the same place as you. Jack believes democracy is a moral project in that the system empowers people to make their lives better. So moral citizenship is a mode of being a participant in democracy that is astute to the many overlapping threads that people's lives share across racial differences, religious differences, gender differences, and so on. And I think what the, the field of faith-based community organizing in general tries to draw attention to is that the playing field hasn't always been level. And so making moral citizens is a project of helping people to understand where their points in common are. And what really surprised me as an analyst, as a sociologist, um, was the specific ways that religion is involved in that process. Conversations and stories and, um, and sharing people's trauma and struggles can help to bring out these threads of what people want and how they can, how they can choose to better their lives together. There are a lot of people who have equal stake in our democracy who simply, through you know, problems with access to resources, access to education, um, working conditions, um, simply lack of time, don't have the ability to think of themselves as participants in democracy because they're concerned about where the next rent check is going to come from. Right. 
this project of faith-based community organizing is about first like bringing people to identify themselves as participants in democracy who actually can build power and then second teaching them strategically to do that so that they can realize what they want and how to get it though moral citizenship invites people to improve their communities progress is hindered by tension and differing values between the political left and right there is a belief among a lot of conservatives, Christian conservatives in particular, that they're simply right about everything and that their project, their moral worldview is the right one and that because they are right and because their sacred religious texts confirm to them that they are right, anything is justified to prevent them from losing their grip on society. Um, so back prior to the 2016 election, there was an article published the Flight 93 election. So Flight 93 was, on September 11th, the flight that um, crashed in a field in Pennsylvania instead of careening um, into, a, in, into a building and, and killing a lot of people. The metaphor is that conservatives are like the people on board Flight 93 who took control of the throttle and drove it into the ground creating, yes, chaos in the short term, but preventing a much larger loss. People who subscribed to that worldview saw Hillary Clinton as being an airplane that was going to crash into a federal building and literally burn the country to the ground. And they believed that anything was justified to prevent Hillary Clinton from gaining power. And what's alarming is that this is not some trivial fringe view on the right. This is the worldview adopted by an increasing number of Republican thinkers, politicians, legal analysts, think tank folks who see a diversifying country, um, a secularizing country as slipping away from what they believe America is supposed to be about. So when, when you believe that you are right and that your rightness is confirmed by everything you have ever been told, your reaction is going to be to grab and grab and grab to prevent the slip from accelerating. Political polarization isn't new, and, as Jack notes, is largely limited to the national level. Agreement and moral citizenship are more attainable on the local level, a fact easy to pass over because national political strife dominates news coverage. There is a lot more consensus about how to govern the affairs of a city or a county than there is about how to govern the affairs of a state or a country. Um, but it's those second two that get a lot more attention in the news. And um, the emergence of a news media environment that is so deeply driven by the need for clicks, the need for constant engagement, and the need for profits as local newsrooms have been taken over by large corporations funded by you know, different kinds of capital firms that are oftentimes more interested in the real estate that a news organization owns than its actual ability to produce news. They need, they need constant content, constant clicks. And the way you fuel that is by angering people. By making people feel that something either like really upsets them and runs counter to their values, or on the other hand, by making people think, oh yeah, I totally get that, I totally align with that, and it, it sort of confirms what I already thought I knew. This is what has driven um, social media algorithms. This is also what drives the content that you see on MSNBC or Fox. News organizations impart a narrative structure onto something that doesn't always need to be narrativized. And by that I mean everything in the news becomes about who is, who is pitted against each other and who wins. 
what that does is it reaffirms everybody's prior beliefs. One of those prior beliefs, Jack says, is the false narrative that the U.S. has always been dominated by white Christians. America's religious diversity is largely a story about immigration, but it manifests in these ways that there are um, communities whose interests at first don't seem evidently aligned. Because they come from different traditions, they have different histories of immigration, it takes effective work by skilled organizers to help them see how their issues are aligned. And that's what moral citizenship is about, is doing that work. To learn more about sociology at Clark, visit clarku.edu slash sociology. Challenge Change is produced by Andrew Hart and Melissa Hansen for Clark University. A special thanks to Meredith Woodward King for her help with this episode. Find other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. One, two, three. Clark! <laughs>